Father, we just come to you. Father, we pray you speak to us. You've been faithful to us, Lord. When it came to the word too, Lord, you have always spoken, spoken to me, Lord. I just thank you, Father. I just thank you. I just thank you, Father. I just thank you. It's your word that has sustained me all these years. Your word and your word alone, O oh God. If it hadn't been for your word, Father, I would not have survived. I would not have come through. So this morning, I personally want to thank you for your word, Lord. Truly, your word is spirit. Your word is life. Your word has been fire. Your word has been everything, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Even this morning, we come around your word and we pray you will speak to us. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us. Speak to us. The entrance of your word brings light. Today some need light. I pray they will receive light. You say in Psalm 107 verse 20, I sent forth your word and healed you of your diseases. There are some who need healing today. I pray, Father, that your word will bring healing. Your word has set captives free. I pray today there will be deliverance in your house, O oh God. Somebody will be set free. About you, yourself, Jesus, it is written. In Isaiah 50, verse 4. Morning by morning you awakened me. And you gave me the tongue of the instructed. So that I could have a word for the weary. I pray, Father, today your word will lift up somebody who is weary, somebody who is burdened, somebody who is depressed, somebody who is discouraged, Father. Your word will lift them up. Above all, Lord, it is written. The word that can save you is so near. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, you are saved. Your word is salvation. I pray, Father, today, your word will bring forth salvation. I just, by faith, release the word that you are able to minister into thy hands. Spirit of God, come, be in control. Thank you, thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 As a church, we stand at the threshold of a new year. New year, we stand for us as a church and as individuals also. Consider this as you belong to this church. Consider this as your beginning of a new year. So as we stand at the beginning of a new year today for the first portion, I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 43 and verses 18 and 19. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. 
This promise was given to Israel during one of their darkest hours. Israel is in Babylon. Israel is in captivity. So a set of people who had sinned against God, wandered away from God, gone into captivity, a set of people about they themselves say, we had no songs to sing, we have hung our harps, these were a set of people discouraged and lost. To them, God says, to them, God says, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of the old. Behold, I will do a new thing. A thing is such, I will make even a road in the wilderness and reverse in the desert. Promise of the living God. The reliability of any promise. We have all have had promises made to us by different people. But the reliability of a promise depends on the person who makes it. Upon his integrity, upon his generosity, his love, above all, his capacity to do what he has promised. This is the promise of an infinite God. Everything about him is infinite and perfect. Perfect in his integrity, perfect in his generosity, perfect in his love, above all, his power unlimited. So this morning, as God tells Israel, God tells his church, and God tells each one of you as individuals, wait on him, wait for him. The one who promised is true and he is faithful. So this morning on the ninth, tenth year, how are you personally? I want this word to speak to you personally, not corporately. If you are the past six months, one year of the church wasn't a good year spiritually for you, then God says, don't worry. You didn't change. I haven't changed either. I'm still the same God. My promises are still the same. Yes and amen. If you want God to do a new thing in your life, you want, I want. One of the primary things to do is we need to change our focus. We have to quit looking behind and start looking ahead. Often, prisoners, people are prisoners of the past. Prisoners of both past successes and failures. We don't think about being a prisoner of past success. The problem is, if you are a prisoner of past success, then God cannot do a new thing in your life. You want him to just keep repeating the old thing. But that's not what God says. If Israel looks back into their past, there are incredible victories and incredible failures. God says, forget it all. Forget it all. Don't remember that. Because if we do it, the problem is we constrained the new thing God wants to do in our lives. We constrain him. So God says, forget it. Learn from it, but don't hold on to it with your flesh. If Joshua had held on to the victories God did through Moses, and the way he did it through Moses, Joshua wouldn't have been able to go through. 
because god did incredible things through joshua but he never repeated one of the methods he did it the way he did it through moses from the beginning moses lifted a rod and the red sea parted there was no rod for joshua to lift he says let the priests go let them hold the ark let them put their feet in the flooded river then it will part from the beginning god was the same his power was the same they experienced miracle after miracle but the way he did it was different that's why god says do not remember the former things nor consider the old things of old he doesn't say do not remember the terrible former things and the bad things of old he says don't remember don't constrain my arm often as believers good believers faithful believers also constrain god's hands we want god to do and we want god to do things in such a way because that is the way we have always experienced our victory but god says i want to do a new thing in your life i want to do a new thing in your life so if you want god says consider your past yes do it to help you not to hurt you there are lessons we have to learn from our past but don't constrain the hand of god fundamentals remember if you want god to do something in your life this year primary first thing focus we need to have a focus i'll get into it in detail today we need to have a focus let me ask you this question what is your focus what is your goal because every moving towards something you and i are moving towards something do you have a goal because that's how you will depending upon your goal is how you will reflect on the things of the past one of the greatest most successful human beings who ever walked on earth i'm not talking about jesus but i'm talking about apostle paul this is the way he defined his life in philippians 3 he says not that i have already attained or i am already perfected but i press on that i may lay hold of that for which christ jesus has also laid of me brethren i do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing i do forgetting those things which are behind he also says the same thing i'm forgetting all the things that are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead then verse 14 i press toward the goal yes a goal very clear defined goal says, i press towards the goal for the price of the upward call of god in christ jesus many many of us our goal is not upward it is horizontal he says i'm pressing towards the upward goal my goal is upward upward call of god in christ jesus therefore let us as many as are mature have this mind as many as are mature maturity he here in this portion he says if you are mature you will have a very clear focus and a very clear goal and the goal is upward we may be running our race on earth but the price is in heaven it's not on earth 
If you are running a goal horizontally, then your price is on earth. It is not in heaven. On earth, we have only one life. Whatever other people may say, we have only one life. And scripture is very clear. At the end of it, there is an evaluation. It is called judgment. That is the day prices are awarded. So question is, we ask ourselves individually this day, second Sunday of June, what is my goal? What is my focus? Because your goal and your focus will define everything in your life, including how you perceive and understand the word that is preached will be perceived according to your focus and your goal. Each one has got a goal or should have a goal in your heart and a focus and you will receive everything according to that. In the Old Testament, you will see people were often consumed with one goal. What is that? Promised land. One goal. Till today, you will see the Jews are obsessed with one goal which is on planet earth, which is a small piece of real estate called Canaan, Israel. Everything for them is connected with that land. With that land. It's a goal. It's a good goal. But it's still an earthly goal. In Genesis 47, verse 29 and 30, you will see the old man, Jacob, is about to die. And scripture says, when time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt, bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. He says, please make a vow. Don't bury me in Egypt. I lived in Egypt. I'm going to die in Egypt, but I don't want to be buried in Egypt. Even in death, I have a goal. I want to be buried in the promised land. Please, promised land. This same son will honor his father's request and a great caravan will go and he will bury Jacob. When he is old, he is about to die, he will all call to the sons of Israel. The next portion I have given you in chapter 50. Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. Please. Now I am the head here. I can't be buried in Canaan because I am the big guy over here. So we'll embalm my body and they will make a small pyramid over here, over me. But you guys, you know what? A day will come. God will send a savior. We will be taken out. Break down that pyramid and take my bones out of here and bury me there. I'm adding my part of fiction in here, okay? This pyramid and all, okay? <laughs> so that you will wake up. Okay. Okay. Are you getting it? Their goal was always earthly, because that's the only promise they got. Their promises were all earthly. So all their goal, focus, aspirations was connected with that land. With that land. And even today you will see every Zionist movement is connected with that land. Often New Covenant believers too can be consumed with an earthly vision. And they strive towards it. And therefore, messages may mean nothing to you. Or half the message may be lost because the messages are connected or directed towards another goal that is the upward call of God in Christ. First thing we need to realize, everyone saved here, 
as soon as we were born again, our destination and citizenship both changed. As soon as you were born again. I mean, before, when you were born, you had a horizontal goal. That's focus. When you are born again, your focus should have changed. Philippians 3.20 says, Paul says, Now our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Changed. Citizenship has changed. Focus has changed. Dreams have changed. Desires have changed. Everything has changed because there is a change of citizenship. That's what the Bible is saying. Unless this sinks in, we will never truly understand what God is doing in our lives. Many, many believers are struggling with what God is doing in their lives, saying, Lord, where are you? God says, I'm right there. Why are you? What is happening to my life? I said, I'm, I'm fulfilling my goal in your life. What is that, Lord? Why am I going through all this? Because he says your goal is upward. You don't realize it. You'll say, Lord, I never got a promotion in my office. I've been there for 10 years. God says, yes, I know. Why are you not promoting me? He says, I am. What? No. My salary slip still says the same. He says, no, but check in 10 years, I've made you more patient. More loving. More kind. That would have happened only without that promotion. My goal is different. Your goal is different. I'm working my goal in your life. You have to understand how God works. Otherwise, our focus will never, never change. Focus will never change unless we understand what is the real goal in my life. One evening, in one evening, Rebecca's life changed. One evening, her life would never be the same again. The perspective would never be same again. How she looked at her past life experiences, everything changed. She had met a stranger at the well. She didn't even know his name. He said, will you give me some water? She said, I will give you and your men and your camels. And then the conversations changed. She called him home. Everything changed. She heard a story about a man. A man called Isaac. And she understood this old man to whom she showed hospitality had come seeking a bride for that man. And he had zeroed on her. Everything changed. One night, one evening, everything has changed in Rebecca's life. The brothers understand it. They like it. They love it because they are looking at all with different eyes. And they say, hey, this is a good match. We are all family anyway. Good. Our sister has got a good match and all. Let's have fun. Let's have 10 days party. The man says something else. Genesis 24, verses 57 and 58. They said, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. Eliezer says, please, 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 let me go. Let me go. I need to go. I need to go. I'm successful. So I need to go. That's not the way we are. When we are successful in the office, we want to stay and throw a party also. Right? This is another man, another perspective. He says, I am successful, so let me go. We want to stay when we are successful. He wants to go when he's successful. He says, I'm successful. Let me go. They said, okay, okay, okay. Let's check with this girl. We'll call her and ask, do you want to go? 
tomorrow? We'll call her and personally and ask. They must have never thought, oh, Rebecca will say, no, Anna, I don't want to go, Dada, Mommy. Of course, 10 days, if possible, 20 days. I want to stay. Meaning, I'm going. They said, yeah. Will I come back? No. I will never see you again? No. Okay, then 30 days. That's marriage those days. They called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. One day. Has everything changed in one day when you got saved? Otherwise, salvation will make no sense. How would Genesis 24 sound if Rebecca said, yes, I want to go, but I don't want to go now. I'm not interested. Okay, I like the idea. I want to get married. I heard about him. Okay, but I want to hang around for some more time here. Story would never be preached. Probably Jesus would have something to say if the story had been like that. He would have said, remember Isaac's wife. (laughs) That's not how it is written. Salvation will make no sense to us unless we understand the purpose of salvation, the focus of salvation, the goal of salvation. The message of cross, of the cross will make so sense. Not only no sense, it will sound Uncomfortable to our ears. The difficulties and the hardships of life will make no sense. But once destination is clear, everything changes. Once you and I know, I am not earthbound, I am heavenbound. I am not earthbound, I am heavenbound. Listen to Paul. In Philippians 3, 18 and 19, this is what he says. For many walk of whom I have told you often. He's not talking about unbelievers. He's talking about people in the church. Of many walk of whom I have told you often. Now tell you even weeping. They are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Enemies of the cross of Christ. Rebecca asks. Okay. I said I like all that house. I like all that I like. How far is the journey? Uh, six months. Huh? How is the road? Very bad. How are we going? Camel. No, I am waiting for the invention of aeroplanes. Then I will come. I am not coming on a camel for six months. They are the enemies of the cross of Christ. There is a choosing. There is a destination. And in between is the cross. We want to be here and then when we die, we want to jump across the cross to the other side. God says, that is a little difficult. You can, but you won't be Rebecca. You could be one of her maidservants. They also went, but they also went through the hardships, but they were just accompanying her. Whose end is destruction. Whose God is their belly. Whose glory is in their shame. Who set their mind on earthly things. Just read that in the perspective of Rebecca. That's what happens when our eyes are on the world. We start disliking the cross. 
If Rebecca's heart is set on Haran, then Canaan will look like a distant land and the journey looks tedious and uninviting. The whole of Haran, imagine, hears the story and she hasn't gone. She hasn't gone. Then everybody starts asking, why is this girl still here? Is the marriage fixed? Yeah. She's not going? Yeah, she wants to go, but she says, not now. Why? She says, I like Haran, and when, it's, when I feel like it, I will go to Canaan. God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame. What she's glorifying in, all the other girls of Haran will say, hey, Pagli, what happened to you? Your future is over there. Why are you staying here? Why are you stuck to Haran? But she is glorying in her shame. What we see has glory in the world. What we go after from the spiritual realm, it is seen as nakedness and has shame. We don't realize sometimes Christians are glorying in what? Their shame. If Rebecca's heart is stuck to the family and to that city, then for Isaac she has no passion. Rebecca was listening very carefully to Eliezer's words. Listen to Eliezer's words in 24. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you about my errand. Eliezer traveled so far, He's so tired. All that said and done. And now he's about to be fed. He says, no. I don't want to eat. I'm so excited. I don't want to eat. Before I eat, I want to tell you what have I come for. So they said, speak on. Let me ask you. The Holy Spirit is very excited every Sunday morning when he comes here because he wants to tell us about Isaac. We want to have a good time and say, come on, enjoy yourself, Holy Spirit. Bask in my praise, bask in my worship, bask in my adoration, eat, eat. He says, no, I don't want to eat now. I want to see whether you are equally excited. Because when I, I want to talk to you about Isaac, let me see. He says, I can't eat now. I'm so excited, I want to tell you about Isaac. He said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly. He has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servant, camels and donkeys. My, uh, and Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. To him he has given all that he has. Now my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I'll dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. And he said, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my family and my father's house. You will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family. For if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. She is listening to all of this. Eliezer is consumed by his passion. Of getting a bride for Isaac. Remember Jesus' passion? You see the same passion with Jesus in John chapter 4, verse 32 and 34. 
Do we see? Samaritan woman. The disciples had gone for food. They came back and he said, I have food to eat of which you do not know. He said, where did he get his food? The disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you see the excitement of Eliezer, a type of the Holy Spirit? Do you see the excitement of Jesus, a type of Old Testament Isa? Do we have that excitement? Rebecca was listening very carefully. There's a description of Abraham, of his household, and his only son. And she realizes, this man has come on a mission. What is the mission? To find a wife for Isaac. Jesus came on a mission. The Holy Spirit was sent on a mission. What is the mission? To find a wife for Jesus. That is where their excitement all is. Salvation is the process through which the wife is made. But the purpose of salvation is that God's only begotten son may have a spiritual wife. Don't think in spiritual terms, physical terms, think in spiritual terms. That is the purpose of salvation. When she heard that, everything changed for Rebecca. From that point, it affected how she looked at her past, her present and her future. When she looked at her past, everything of her past is now defined towards one thing. You know what? For this day I was born, for this purpose I was born to be the wife of Isaac. All this, I thank you father, I thank you mom, I thank you for preparing me, I thank you for training me, thank you for everything, but I'm going. Because I realize this is the purpose of my life. Everything changed. She's not going to hold on to anything. In one instant, on the road to Damascus, Paul's life changed. Perspective changed. Everything changed. Till then he was running horizontally. Though he thought he was going up, he was going horizontally. And then he met the man from the vertical height. Everything changed. Listen to how he says how his life changed. In Philippians 3, 10 and 11. That I might know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Everything changed, he says. Now he says, there is one thing. I want to know him. My entire life is defined by this one goal. I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know him. Till then, Rebecca had only heard. So when the question is asked, will you go? She said, I will go. Why? Because that's the only way I can know him. Will you go with this man? Of course I will go with only man. Because it's only this man who can take me there. This is the man who can teach me about Isaac on the way. God is asking you, will you go with the Holy Spirit? He's the only one who knows Jesus. He's the only one who can release Jesus. And that's the primary concern of the Holy Spirit. He's always looking for somebody, anybody who wants to know him. And if you want to know him, know him intimately, he will say the only way you can know him is first you need to experience the power of his resurrection. Because knowing him is going to hurt your flesh and you're going to suffer in your flesh because he is all spirit and all of God. 
So you need the power of the resurrection because in the power of the soul or the power of the flesh, you can never know him because in the power of the flesh, you will see there is nothing to desire about him. He has no beauty. That's what's written about Jesus in the power of the flesh. But when you receive the resurrection power, you know, I want to know him. And if I have to know him, I need to have the fellowship of his sufferings. Is that not our marriage vows? Better or worse? Richer or poorer? In sickness or health? But we have changed. We have taken one side off. I'm going to be with you only when I'm rich. You are rich. When you're healthy. And when you're not sick. And if you fall sick, I'm going to put you in the hospital and use, use your card to pay for it. That's not what the Bible talks about. Fellowship of his sufferings. And in the process, I want to be conformed to his death. What is his death? The death he lived every day of his life on the flesh, fighting sin and not giving in to sin. He says that's the only way you will know him. Better and better and better. Not the death on the cross, but the other death. Which he cried out and prayed for in Hebrews 5. That God would save him from that. That death I want to experience to God. When I experience that death, I will know you. I will know you better, 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 better. He says, if, if by any means after that, I can attain the resurrection from the dead and be part of the bride. He says, everything changed in one day. So the question is to the church, what drives you? Everybody is driven by something. Israel was driven by the promise of the promised land. What drives young and old sitting here? Some are driven by guilt. Some are driven by? Read Joseph Conrad if you know who he is. Or if you remember the old ancient days when we were wicked in the flesh and we saw all those movies, see a Bachchan movie called Kalapathar. It's all driven by guilt. You have done something wrong. Now you want to make good and you are driven by your guilt. You are doing only good. Why are you doing guilt? To make amends for the bad you did. Driven by guilt. God doesn't want his children to be driven by guilt. There is no condemnation. He says, don't let your guilt, your past failures move you to the pre- future or to the present. He says, no, start fresh. I have removed it, doesn't even exist. Don't let be the power and the force behind you doing good. He says, no. A lot of people in the world do that. We are not driven by guilt. Some are driven by fear. Ask Jacob, 20 years of his life he was driven solely by fear. Some are driven by anger and hatred. Ask Ahitophel, what makes you serve in David's court? Why are you so smart, so kind? So he says, you don't know my heart. I'm waiting for one day when I can get him. Everything, my entire being, if you know inside, is one goal. I want to nail this man. That's the only goal. Bring him down. Driven. Some are driven by money. Ask Mr. Bala. Driven. Driving force. Ministry, prophecy, anointing, everything is there. But what drives you? Money. Money. Some are driven by ambition. Ask Absalom. What drives you? Absalom will say. Ambition. People are driven by success, fame, pleasure. Some children are driven by parents. Some husbands and wives are driven by their spouses. Different. These are all real things. What drives you? What moves you? 
So this Sunday, go back home and sit with God alone and ask God, Lord, show me what is actually motivates me. What drives me? What is the driving force in my life? What is my goal? What is my purpose? Because like I said, everything in life centers around that. Everybody, almost everybody, humanity can be divided into three groups. One of these three levels. The first level I would like to put it is, a whole lot of humanity live on survival mode. It is called survival mode. This is the lowest you can be. They just try to get along with life. They are not really living, they are just existing. They don't have any goals or passions in life. That doesn't mean they are bad at their work. They are good at their work, but they have no goals. They live to eat and eat to live. That is their motto in one circle. Living to eat, eating to live. The majority is consumed by this life. It is to them. Jesus looks with compassion. Looks with compassion. A majority, the bulk. And says in Matthew 6, 31 to 33, he says, Please, he says, do not worry. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows that you need this all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. and All these things shall be added unto you. Defining lowest level. And you could be a beggar on the road or you could be a professional in the IT company. What do you live for? This. Weekend. Thank God it is Friday. Go shopping. Go to a restaurant, eat, have a blast. Monday, go back to work. And this is your life, a circle. It's a simple circle. What to eat, what to drink, what to wear. And you work for that. In the process, you get married, have children. But the primary focus hasn't changed. This is the purpose for which you are living. And then you instill that also into your children. Study well, work well, get a good job and do what? Eat, drink and wear. Go back into my cycle. God says, sadly, he's telling them and says, that should not be your focus. That should not be your focus. Let this not be. Like I said, it's got nothing to do with poor people. The rich and the poor. A whole lot of people live at this level. When they are given a goal, they get excited. But when they see the journey that takes to reach that goal, they get tired. And they give up. And they'd start living in the fantasy world. After five years, ten years in your company, finally realize I have reached where I can reach and I'm not going any further. You start living in fantasy world. If only. Every statement, second statement in their life is if only. It's in the past. If only. The reason you didn't like the journey. To reach your goal. And then they start, you start looking at the past with tinted glasses. In Numbers 14, 2 and 3, listen to this set of people. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, if only. What? If only. 
That's how some of you think. If only I had stuck in that old church. This man never leaves me alone. But if I don't come, his wife will call me up. If only. If only. I was so comfortable in that old life. The message was 15 minutes. Neither did I understand what he was speaking, nor did he understand what he was saying. I never had to worship because the songs always put me to sleep. It was such a comfortable life. Church was like a vacation. Now I came here, I wish, if only. Why has God brought us to this land? If only. To them God says, forget the past. He tells through Paul, forget the past. Because a lot of people, if only I had studied better. If only I had married him instead of her. If only. If only. God is not mad at them. God is not mad at us. He says, forget the past. I am giving you an opportunity to start all over again. Even in captivity, I want to do a new thing. Don't live at this level. What to eat, what to drink, what to wear. Don't even live on the earthly dream. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6, you will see after everything, after the resurrection also, and when he's about to go also, they come and say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Okay, you died. Thank you, Lord. Thank you very much, Lord. Thank you very much. We're really grateful. And we are even more grateful you rose again. Otherwise, we would have nothing to say. Now that you have rose again and you have shown us, we have one question. Is the kingdom coming? People are like that in the church. And God says, I love you. I understand you. But that's not your goal. Hallelujah, we hear about the cross, Good Friday service, we grow, we weep, we kiss the cross, we everything, and after that say, will I get my promotion? God says, I'm giving you another goal that should define your life. I told you a goal. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. And I gave you another instruction. Wait in Jerusalem. In Acts 1.8 he says, Wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit has come. Once you come, you shall receive power. And then what will you be? You will start living my life. Have a different goal altogether. Goal has changed. Don't just live on survival mode. Otherwise your life will be empty, full of worry and anxiety. Full of worry and anxiety. Honestly telling you, if you don't have a focus that is God given, it doesn't matter what happens in your life. You can eat to your nostrils till it comes out of it like the children of Israel and next day morning wake up and say, can God do it again? That's what God says. It didn't matter what he did to them. Every time they ask, okay, he did that, but can he do it again? Your life will be full of, honestly look back, the past one year. Haven't you all eaten well? 
other than those who were fasting for the last 40 years. You ate well, you dressed well, you went to work, you had money, everything. What didn't you worry all this once, 12 months? Did you worry? Just look at it. Wasn't God faithful? Were we faithful in trusting him implicitly and said, that's fine. I'm doing what you told me to do. You will do what you have promised to do. No. We didn't do what you told us to do. What did we do? We ate. We drank. We worried about clothes. And he kept on giving us all these things. And we kept on worrying. That's what 6.34 says. Uh, Matthew 6.34 says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. He says, don't worry. If you don't change focus, it doesn't matter how much food you have in your granary, you will still worry or have supplies for one month. But next month if I lose my job, Because focus, goal isn't there. The first level, this is how people live. What is it? Just survival mode. Living, living, existing. There are no defined goals in their life. No particular defined goal. The second level people, it's a higher level. They are the, live at the success level. It's higher than the survival level, okay? They are driven by a goal. Why are you working so hard? Double shifts. I want to own an apartment of my own. Tired of paying rent. So they have a goal. And that goal motivates them. The question is, when you get your apartment, what do you do? What do you do? Got your apartment, right? Now what are you going to do? Possessions, prestige, pleasure. And it is met. But when it is met, you will suddenly see Your lives are empty. Or the goal, which is an earthly goal, is consuming you. And now what has happened in your heart is neither peace, nor contentment, but covetousness and greed has taken over. That's what Jesus tells in Luke 12, 20. Fool. Talking about building more barns, more barns, pulling down, building more, pulling down, building more. He says, your life is so empty. You are so horizontally faced, you have no clue. The call is coming from above, not from the side. Judgment is there, not here. He is the one who will ask account, not here. Your king is not going to say, how great thou art, you are the most prosperous. He's not going to say that. I am going to call you home today. What do you have to say? Didn't you realize you should set goals that are up and not just horizontal? That your horizontal goals are defined by your vertical goal? He's a successful man. He's not a failure. He was success oriented. You have to realize that success never satisfies. Never satisfies. It doesn't matter. It doesn't satisfy. Genesis 32, 26. Never satisfies. What is Genesis 32? He said to me, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 20 years ago when God had met him in the night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham, the God of your father Isaac said and all. He listened to and said, wow, this is all great. Then he made a deal with God. You know, I'm going here. You bring me back. And I will promise you I'll give you 10%. He's original bargaining. That is, you bless me, you prosper me, I promise you I will give you 10%. There are many 10% people in every church. 
God said, okay. If that is what you want, that is what I will do. 20 years prospered him. Cattle, flock, sheep, servants, maids, four wives also. Every direction he looks, he's prospered, but he's empty. God said, you got what you wanted, right? Got what you wanted. Are you satisfied, Jacob? He said, no. Please, bless me. I got everything around. Inside, I am empty. Will you bless me? This is what happens when you are success driven. What happens once you reach, reach there? What happens? It's a vacuum. You look, honestly, young people sitting over here. I want you to go back or don't go. You will start searching for other things. Maybe ask Pastor Vijay or somebody. Show the picture or the video that has come from the police station where Tiger Woods was taken after he was arrested for drunk driving. And look at him. The one of the, the most successful golfer ever in human history. A multi-millionaire. Married, was married to one of the most beautiful women of his time. And where is he now? What did success do to you? Because after that, it is empty. It's empty. That's why in the world it is said it is very lonely at the top because you are all alone because you sought your success without God. But if your success comes with God, you are never alone because you said, I will never leave you, never forsake you. I will be with you till the end. How many, how many, how many celebrities have died in the past one year? Drug overdose, all. Why empty? Yet we hear messages and we are still pursuing their lifestyle. God says, don't you see? Material success never satisfies. Ask Solomon. Ask Solomon. That success without God will ultimately lead to debauchery. When did the kings of Israel fail? When they were weak? Or when they were successful? When they were successful? When did David fall? When he was running from Paul, from King Saul? Or when he was successful? He fell when he was successful. Don't let success blind your eyes to God's eternal goals. When did Solomon fail? When did Uzziah fail? When did Samson fail? When did Gideon fail? When did Noah fail? When did Israel fail? All of them failed when they were successful. In Deuteronomy 32 verse 15, this is what God has to say about Israel. The name is, another name of Israel is Jeshurun. Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. I made you fat. I gave you success. I answered all your prayers. You're fat now. You're rich. You're prosperous. You're successful. But what did happen? You grew fat. You grew thick. You're obese. Then you forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. You turned your back. That's what happens when our goal is success. Because that success can never satisfy. It can never satisfy. Then there is this third level in which others exist, both in the world and in the kingdom. Okay, These are parallels there. It is called the level of significance. That is when you have a very clear goal and a very clear purpose in your life. You have decided, this is what I want to do. Now I am talking only to people in the church. Because there are people in the world also who are consumed by that. Their work gives them their significance. They have a cause and they go battling that cause and their entire, entire life is defined by that cause. 
So we will also identify them by that. So if you are asked, who is the father of India's freedom movement? Everybody will say Mahatma Gandhi. Why? That cause defined his life. Who is the father of the civil rights movement in US? Uh, Martin Luther King. That defined his life. Okay, so it can be in the kingdom or outside. But that's where significance come from. But we are talking about kingdom. In the kingdom, when you live at the level of significance, that's how Jesus lived. That is how Paul lived. The problem is, when we study the life of Jesus and the life of Paul, his closest apostle when it comes to imitation, what you see is their passion and what you see is their enthusiasm till the end. You know the word enthusiasm comes from Two Greek words. One is theos. The other is in. Enthusiasm means in God. Everything. That's what God is asking. Did everything change for us when we encountered Jesus? Everything changed for Paul when he encountered Jesus. Like Rebecca. Has our goals changed? Has our purpose changed? Like Jacob, once he encountered God that day at Peniel, everything changed. From that day, his purpose has changed, goal has changed, passion has changed, everything and God changed his name also. From today, you are not Jacob, you are Israel. And he says, I named this place Peniel because here I met God face to face. It's changed. God says, has it changed? In Philippians 3.8, scripture says, Indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Question, has the knowledge of Christ Jesus become our passion? Otherwise, coming to church and listening to a message which is two hours long will bore you. Because your passion is not the knowledge of Christ. Because you sit here for two hours or come here on a Wednesday night or another meeting, you will start considering it in terms of loss in the world. You will not be willing to suffer loss in the world unless you consider this as gain. That's what he says. I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. He says, I want to know him. I want to know more about him. I want to know more about him. More about him. Philippians 3, 9. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God by faith. She says, my significance had changed. Before that, if you ask Rebecca, who are you? Who is that girl? Oh, that is uh, Nahor's daughter, Laban's sister. And, oh, she's a very hardworking girl. Oh, yeah, she's very good. She's very excellent. She's this, this. That's where her significance comes from. But today if you ask her, who are you? Isaac's bride. This law are the works from which we get our significance. Paul says, I don't want that significance. Where do you get your significance from? How do you see yourself and identify yourself? How do you? He says, I Want to be found in Him. My significance comes from the fact I am in Christ. That's what I said. You go to even Christian homes. What do you see? Medals, 
certificates, trophies, and you talk to them, they will tell you all about the records in their secular life. Why? Because that is where their significance comes from. You ask Paul, he will only talk about his Christ. I am in him. This is what my significance, this is what I went for for him. This is, this is, this is all his significance is in him. Has our significance changed? Has it changed? As a parent, think about it. What do we boast about? What do we boast about? What are we excited about? My son wants to pray every day. No, we never talk about those things. I want to go for the Bible study. He'll sit and study. You see where our significance from? Because we have already decided in our mind, these are the things in life from which I get my significance, therefore our children will get their significance. We have put Christ away. Yet we come to worship on a Sunday. The problem is, at the end, there will be an emptiness. It's an emptiness. You achieve everything. That's why the book of Ecclesiastes has to be read over and over and over again. A man who pursued everything, at the end he says, it's all air. Nothing. No significance. Till that day, her significance came from all that. But when she said, will you go with this man? Everything changed. Everything changed. Question is, has our identity changed? What do you see yourself as? As Christ's bride or an employee? Or a worker? Or industries? How do you see yourself? It's a question. What do you see? He saw, he says, I have one goal. I want to be found in him. Nothing that people talk about me should be about myself, but about him. That what he has given to me. That's where my significance comes from. That's the question. So you ask Paul, Paul, who you are? Born servant of Christ. Oh, I thought you were a Pharisee. All that loss written off. Who are you? Born servant of Christ. That's how he writes in introduction to his first gospel. I, Paul, the born servant of Christ. He doesn't write. I, who was Hebrew of Hebrews, from the tribe of Benjamin, meant to be in this Sanhedrin, who sat at the feet of Gamaliel and said, that's how we talk. Which I guess embarrassed when I introduce him and I tell about where he came from. The reason I basically tell him is not because of his secular credential, but to tell them, when a man of God has a genuine call on his life, he has left something that is valuable in the world because he finds the excellence of Christ greater. That's the only reason I tell people. And he gets embarrassed. The pastor, pastor, pastor. I said, no, that's not the reason. The reason is many of them have taken ministry as a job because they could find nothing else. They left nothing. But that's not what ministry is. Ministry is because you found this greater than anything this world could offer. There's no greater title you can have on planet earth other than to be called servant of God. There's no greater. And we don't get our significance from that. We want our secular titles. God says, don't you know your citizenship has changed? Don't you know your goals and purposes, the Spirit of God is working in you, has changed? Has our purpose changed? Has our identity changed? Do we see life differently after salvation? 
It's a quest. There was a king and there was his son, little young boy. He lived in his palace, mighty big palace and all the walls around and the servants are all out there. But this boy likes to cross the palace, is the village and he likes to go playing with the village boys. The king told the servants, you will not let this boy out. But the royal order is also there, the royal code of conduct is that nobody can touch the prince or the king. You cannot touch them. They are royalty. So the boy knows very well. They will put this thing and try to stop him. He will walk through them because they know he knows he, they cannot touch him. So he goes, place, goes, place, goes, place. Father was mad. King was mad with the servants. He said, why, sir, what can you honor this boy? He says, okay. One day he took the boy and said, you come up here. Took him up to the top of the palace to the tower and he said, look everywhere. So do you see? He said, yes, sir. That's all yours. Do you know who you are? You are men to reign. You are men to rule. You are men to have authority over all this. Not to play with those kids and then get their character and lose the chance to rule. He came back. He never went out again. That's the boy that became Alexander the Great. Because he understood significance. I am being born to reign with Christ Jesus. That's what the efficiency is. You have been lifted up and seated with Christ Jesus. From that vantage point, do you see your significance? If I am called to rule, destined to rule, then I'll be better found in him, like him, his character, his righteousness, his holiness, then only I can rule. I have to understand what salvation means, the end of salvation. Everything turns around then. This is my destiny. This is my purpose. This is the call of my life. That's what God is talking about. Otherwise we are just taking an insurance ticket. When I die, I don't want to go to hell. And salvation is not an insurance ticket. Salvation is the beginning of a destiny. A journey to heaven. Destined to rule. Purpose, goal. Everything changes. So the question is, 10 years are over. What's our? How do we look at life? How do you look at life? Do you have a very clear vision? A clear goal? Your horizontal goal is defined by your vertical goal. These two are there, horizontal and vertical. This is very clearly defined by this. In Acts chapter 19, uh, sorry, 9, 9, 9, the Lord sent him, go, for it is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Very clear. You're going to suffer and you're going to really, really suffer. But it's worth it. Why? You're bearing my name. You're bearing my name. Alexander, King Philip said, from today, your schooling starts. You won't be playing with other kids. When they are playing, you will be working. When they are sleeping, you will be awake. When they are playing in the river, you will be training with the soldiers. Alexander, life has begun for you because now you know what your destiny is. You're bearing my name. That's what God says. He will bear my name. He's a chosen vessel. As a part of it, there is suffering. Paul will say, it's fine with me. There is a mission. And there will be a lot of pain when you pursue it. And we are all part of that great mission. Matthew 28, God makes it very clear. Jesus came, spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me 
in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The mission statement of the church. Go, make disciples, teach them to obey. What is the church? The church is like, let us say, like a big car or a bus. It's like a big bus. In that bus, there are 10,000 little parts, big parts, different kinds of parts. But everything together makes the bus, which takes people from point A to point B. If this is a church and we are a bus, what is your part? What is your part? Everybody have to play the game. The great commission is given to everybody, but everybody doesn't do the same thing. But everybody is part of the great commission. Have you found purpose? Have you found your purpose? Read Ephesians. Sorry, you don't have to go up and giving you. Read First Corinthians chapter 12. Read Romans 12. You will see different gifts, different purposes within the body of Christ. And they are all serving in the same purpose of the Great Commission. Everybody, Great Commission. Purpose work is different. Purpose is same. Great Commission. Make disciples of nations. Have you found your purpose? Ask Rebecca. Do you find your purpose? Where are you going, Rebecca? Isaac's house. Is the journey hard? Yes, I haven't slept one single night after I started. Why? Camels are very uncomfortable. Are you going to stop? No. You're not going to stop? No. Are you going to turn back? You've only gone 10 kilometers from your house. You want to go back? No. 50 kilometers, you want to go back? No. 200 kilometers, you want to go back? No. Why? I'm going to Isaac. There's no turning back. I know where I am going. The fact of who is going, where she is going, the fact of who is accompanying Eliezer, the old man who knows Isaac from the time he was born till today. There's one man in Abraham's household who knows everything about Isaac. That is Eliezer, the chief servant. There's one person who knows everything about Abraham and about Isaac. Father God and the Son, it is the Holy Spirit. And that is the Spirit God said. When you fulfill that purpose, you will always experience my presence. If you are not experiencing my presence, it is because you are not fulfilling my purpose. You are running your own goal. I will never leave you. You will always know that I am there with you. Because you are part of the Great Commission. Purpose and passion go together. What is your purpose? What is your purpose? Is that all? No, there is more. Paul will say in Philippians 3.14, not only there is a purpose and a goal, there is also a price. I have a purpose, I have a goal. Where are you going? I am going to heaven and I am going to fulfill the great commission. What is your price? Oh, price, there is a price? Yeah, there is a price. What is a price? You get to sit on the right hand side of God with Christ. Who is that? The bride. Oh, that is a price? Yes. So that I just have to fulfill the great commission and run my race, I will get that price. God will say no. No. I fulfill everything God tells me to do on earth. I He told me preach to 10 different language groups. I finish that. I will get my price. God says no. That's only the goal. The price, you have to run vertically. You have to become like him. The second one. If it was only this, then everybody would be purpose-driven like Rick Warren's church. Purpose-driven, purpose-driven. What about upward? 
the two, it's like the train, rail, parallelly you are running on the track. One is I have to fulfill my purpose on earth. One, I have to grow in character and become what Christ wants me to be so that he can recognize me as his own. As his own. Are we getting it? We have a price. Paul was very clear about it. We have a price. In 1 Corinthians 9.24, he said, I press, sorry, 9.24, 1 Corinthians, do you not know those who run in a race all run, but one receives the price. Who receives the price? One receives the price. Why? The one who is running for the price, goal, purpose is finishing this journey, but something else is there. Why are you in this journey? I'm in this journey for Isaac. If you look at the caravan, you will see Rebecca and probably, I think somewhere I read, I can't remember, ten servant maids. Ten maid servants are there. All are going with Rebecca to Canaan. Are they all going with the same goal? No, only one is going to get the prize. But they are all going in the same direction, same suffering, everything. But they are only accompanying her. They don't get eyes up. They don't get eyes up. You're getting the picture. God says everybody can be in the same direction. That doesn't mean they all get the same price. So Paul says, I'm very clear. I'm running for my price, not just fulfill my goal here, my purpose over here. In verse 27, he will say, I discipline my body, bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, myself I should not become. I have preached to others, I fulfill my purpose. God says, yeah, there are many people who have fulfilled the purpose. They have preached very well, but they are disqualified. Why? Because they didn't realize there was something else tied to that for the price. He says, I know. I can do this. This is a gift. I can do this. I can do this. I can preach. I can do it. I can get people in the kingdom. I can teach. I can disciple. All that I can do. But God says, that's great. You can do that. My spirit gave you that gift. But if you don't bring your body under subjection, you will be disqualified. 27 is very significant. That's what he's saying. After having completed my mission, I shouldn't lose my price. Life is more than a mission. Otherwise, life would be all about work. When it come to came to work, you know what Paul said about himself when it came to work? 1 Corinthians 15.10. Got it? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not in vain. I labored more abundantly than I all. He said, you pick any apostle, I have worked harder than him. So you don't tell me about missions. I know what missions is. I have worked harder than anybody in my company. The boss comes and says, why are you not promoting me? I work harder than everybody. Yes, yeah, but you shoot, I'm short and bird. Oh, that was the reason. Yeah, I'm looking for somebody with character whom I can promote. You're going to be in charge of people. But I work harder than anybody. I come in early in the morning. I'm the last to leave. My work is all done. I'm the most efficient. He says, all that I agreed. But the problem is your character. Oh, you need character to rise up? Oh, yes, you need. So he says, I have worked harder than anybody. But still it's not enough. After that, I still could be qualified. Because we are talking about ruling. We are talking about reigning. Are we getting the picture? That's what Paul is talking about. In Philippians 3.10, he says, this is what I want. I want to be conformed to him. I want to be like him. I want to be like him. 
I want to be like him. Is that a goal? It's not that I want to serve him. I want to work for him. I want to labor for him. I want to do this for him. I want to go to the ends of the earth for him. God says Pharisees also do that. I didn't say that. Jesus said that in the gospel. He said the Pharisee will cross the oceans to make one convert and makes him a bond servant double as he is. Why? Because that fellow doesn't have character. God says no. He says I want to finish. I want to do all that. But I want to be like him. When I finish. When I finish, I want to be like him. That's what I asked told the pastors yesterday. I love them. They are simple, older pastors. Many, many. I said one thing I ask you. You're getting older. Are you getting better? I said I've seen pastors fight over there. Old pastors fight over because somebody jumped into their line. You have fought over here because somebody got into your chair. And you are 70, 80 years old. I said you are not getting better. Where is your patience? As you grow older, you should be getting more kinder, more loving, more patient, more tolerant, all that because it's the grace of Jesus Christ flowing into you. That's not happening. A powerful preachers, yes. But are you getting better is my question. If you're not getting better, then we have to stop and say, Lord, I am struggling in that area. Don't look at your work. I'm the best employee. I got the best employee award also. Forget all that. Lord, the real fact is this. I am not getting better. I'm efficient, but I'm not getting better. And I can still be disqualified. Lord, make me better. Make me better. We saw Jesus' passion for his father's work in 434. He will say, he said, my food is to do the will of God. He will go in the, in the day sun, heat everything for a Samaritan woman, wait, bring her to salvation. He's so excited. He's got real passion. Real passion for his work. Yes, we should have passion for missions. We should have passion to serve the Lord. Yes. But along with that, he says something else also. In John 14, Philip asked a question. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. It is sufficient for us. Lord, show us the Father. Jesus said to him, Have I been here so long that you have not known me, Philip? Philip, let me tell you. Every day of my life, from the day you have seen me, I have done everything to be exactly as my father. You seen me? Seen my father. We are the same. Essence is the same. I'm not only at my father's work, I'm not only so zealous for my father's work, I am trying everything, every day possible, to be exactly like my father. He's doing both. God says, That's what my spirit wants with you. I want you to labor exactly like my son, passionate about your father's work, and also ask the spirit, change me and make me exactly like my son. Passion. As we grow older, and older, and older, make me, Lord, make me, make me, make me, Lord, make me. That's my desire. That's the desire that gripped Apostle Paul. Conform me to your image, O God. I want to be like you. I want to be like you. So God gives us a twofold purpose in life. Go make disciples. Find your slot. Then make me like Jesus. What is that? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Why? Because the kingdom of God and God and Jesus is defined by righteousness. How righteous is your love? 
We all love. But can God say, I see you love. Your love is righteous. How do, why Lord? We expect that. But God says, actually your love is not. But Lord, you have seen me. I love my children. I have sacrificed for my children. I have given everything for my children. Don't I love? God says, yes. But can you love somebody else's child like that? Then I will declare you righteous. Because you will say, even the tax collectors love like you do. Because that's what we say. Oh, you don't know. I love my children. I sacrifice for my children. I did all this for my children. Lord. God says, yes, you did. I accept it. Anybody can do that. Hindu can do. Muslim can do. They do it better than you. That's something I put into every heart. But can you love somebody's child, an abandoned child, like your own, and give it to exactly or more than you would give it to your own child? Can you? God says, that's the way I loved you. That's why Jesus says in Matthew, let your love be perfect as the love of your father. Is our love righteous? Is our kindness righteous? Look at all the things we connect with character. Is it really righteous? Can the righteous God come and stand and say, yes, you are righteous. Righteous. Isn't that the first statement David makes? He comes there and says, is there anybody from King Saul's house? Who's King Saul? The man who caused 10 years of your life, who chased you around all the jungles, caves, everybody like a dog, sent his entire army, forgetting the enemy are the Philistines. He made you his enemy. He messed your life up. It cost you 10 years. It cost you so much pain, suffering. And the first thing he does as king, he says, is there anybody from King Saul's house to whom I can show mercy? Mercy. And one fellow, Ziba, says, yes, one man is there left. He's Mephiboseth. And he's, he said, doesn't matter. From today, he will sit at my table like one of my own sons. God says, David, you are a man after my own heart. Man after my own heart. That's what God is bringing us. He says, grow, grow, grow. Don't take what is natural and human and put it as the righteousness of God's kingdom. He says, your righteousness should exceed that of the Pharisee. Pharisee, very righteous. According to the law. Not according to grace. That's why he said, seek, 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 seek. Are we seeking his righteousness with all of our heart? In Hebrews 12 and verse 14, God says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The simple thing is that if you, your desire, my desire in our heart, consuming desire is not to seek Jesus, then we won't pursue these things. This is not what we do first. Lord, I want to pursue peace. I want to pursue holiness. No. Lord, I desire you. I want to see your face. Yes, we sang today. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. God says, you want to see me? Pursue peace. Pursue holiness. You will see me. It's really you sang church this morning. I heard you sing, open the eyes of my heart. Is that your really heart's desire? Yes, Lord, it's my desire. He says, but when you go back home, I don't see you pursuing holiness. Forget reaching home. On the way you have started fighting with your wife. You are not pursuing peace even with this one. Forget the other ones. You really don't want to see my face. You didn't mean what you said. So can we say, Lord, honest, I didn't mean what I said. Lord, create that desire in my heart. 
I want to see your face. I want to see your face. I want to see you. To see your face, we have to shut out all the other faces. Pursue peace. What does it mean? Pursuing peace with all men. Meaning, when we are angry, when we are upset, we have one face in our mind. One voice that is ringing. The one with you are upset with. Right? Shut all those faces. How do you shut all those faces? By pursuing peace. Lord, I forgive. I choose to forgive. I'm choosing to let go. Because I want to see your face. I want to see your face. Then the Holy Spirit will start speaking to you. You know what? When you read a simple devotional, that's what Jesus looks like. 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 And after this long, long, long journey from Haran to Canaan, Weeks, months, we don't know. At the end of the journey, suddenly she turns to Eliezer and asks, Who is that man? Who is that man? He says, That is Isaac. How did she know? You have never seen him before. How did she know? Everything that you said to me, my heart is telling, That is that man. That is that man. If we haven't known Jesus in our spirit by seeking him now, when we see him face to face, will we recognize him? This is not a human you are going to meet. It's not a human you are going to meet. That's the whole journey. This is a journey of fulfilling his purpose, fulfilling his mission. And then there is this journey to see his face. See his face. Awesome God. Imagine. Oh Jacob you worm. (laughs) Jacob the worm says I saw you face to face. What a God. What a God. That would even say you worms can see my face. Have you ever looked at ourselves in the way we look at others? Oh shut the door. Why the dog is coming in? Shut the window. The cat is coming in. Oh this worm squeeze it. That's what we are before God. God says, come. You can see my face. He calls Jacob all these things. He calls him worm. Keep this balance in mind. Always in life. Always. Otherwise, what happens? Many who sought to fulfill their purpose, their mission in life, they forgot this relationship. And then they go down. They go down. The way of scripture as it called the way of Balaam. Jude one eleven says, Jude 1, Woe to them for they have gone in the way of Cain, have grown greedily in the error of Balaam, and perish in the rebellion. Why did God use these three names? Cain, Balaam, Korah. These three names. Why? Cain went the way down because of worship. Because of worship, not a secular job. Because of worship, he was worshipping God. His worship was not accepted. Therefore, he was mad with God, mad with his brother, killed his brother when he was worshipping. Balaam was a prophet of God hired to curse the children of Israel, opened his mouth, only blessings came and he went down as cut down. Was he a prophet? And Korah? Who do you think Moses you are? You are not the only one holy. We are all holy. We all have authority. You don't speak for God alone. We also can speak for God. Every one of them are pursuing the way of God without the character of God. And God said, B. 
beware. Beware. These are not secular examples. These are ministry examples. Ministry examples. That's what God is talking about. Be careful. Be clear. You are on a journey. You are on a pursuit. But that should not consume you. Though it should be consumed by itself. But always be balanced. Even as you are on fulfilling your purpose, preaching, mission, taking care, whatever, whatever you are doing in your office, everything. Keep examining yourself whether you are in the faith. And when you examine yourself, the only answer is, is Christ in you? Has Christ grown? Has Christ grown? Has Christ grown? Has Christ grown? That's the only answer. That's Corinthians 13.5. That's the only answer. There's no other answer. Has Christ go examine yourself, test yourself. Do that test, scripture says. Because many who seek, there's two fallacies that happen. One, you seek a mission and a purpose and forget righteousness and holiness. Then another, they're consumed by righteousness and holiness and they have no mission. No mission. God says, no, balance. You have both. You have a mission to accomplish and you have an image to grow to. Both my spirit will do if you are willing. If you are willing. Run this race. Tenth year, run this race parallel, like the railway line. Once we get this clear, everything else starts falling into place in life. God is able to speak to you. Because you want to say, Lord, why are you not speaking to me? He says, I do, but you don't understand. Why, Lord? Because your trajectory is different from mine. We are not running in parallel lines, we are running in opposite lines. I love you. I remember the day you received me and called on my name. I remember that. I never forget those things. But after that, nothing is happening. That's Jesus. That's him whom we imitate. And Jesus, you have to realize, when we move in purpose and move in this passion, when Jesus moves, crowds followed him. Why did crowds follow him? Because he was the light of the world. Light of the world. He said, I'm the light of the Everybody saw that light. Why are you able to see me today? Why are you able to write in your notebooks today? Because there is light. You know what this light is? It's a light that is dispersed. Everybody sees. But can you take this light and make it in a narrow way? It can cut steel. It's called laser. Jesus was the light of the world. Then he became a laser beam absolutely set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. Crowd slowly started going. Why? Everybody likes this light. But when this light becomes a laser beam, everybody runs from it. It's not enough to be this light. As you progress further with God, you also need to become what Christ became and what Apostle Paul became. Everyone left. In Luke 22, 41 to 43, he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw away. He knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And scripture says, angel came and took care of him. Nobody else took care of him. The angel came and took care of him. Why? Set like a flint. And Isaiah 57 is the prophecy. For the Lord will help me, there I will not be disgraced, disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a face, like a flint is a stone. Set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. 
You know what the parallel verse in the book of gospel is? Yeah, the next one. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to Jerusalem. Did you see how the mission is narrowing? Mission is narrowing? Isn't that in the secular world? You started in school, you had all the subjects. By the time you reached 11, subjects came down. By the time you finished 12, subjects came down. By the time you post-graduation, it came down. If you go beyond post-graduation, you are narrowing, you are specializing. Are you specializing in the kingdom of God or still dispersing? Ten years are up, ask this question. What am I specializing in? What is my speciality? He began with the crowds. Ended up alone. Because the crowds were against the final purpose of God in his life. God said, even if they leave you, I will not leave you. I will be with you till the very end. You are all alone, I am there with you. I will even encourage you, strengthen you with angelic visitation. Did that happen to Paul? Of course it did. You know what he says at the end of his life? Second Timothy. At my first defense, no one stood with me. All forsook me. May not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Paul, where did you start? With crowds. Everywhere crowds, either to beat you or to welcome you. But crowds were there always. How come as you're reaching closer and closer to the end, crowds have all left? And finally you are all alone? Yes, I'm all alone. Are you okay with it? I'm okay with it. Why? Because he stood with me. I've been faithful to my call. I've been faithful to my purpose. And he has promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you till the end. That's what I'm talking about. Can you seek him exclusive to everything else? If it happens, we'll be able to stay. When both goals are combined and become one, then we have this enormous, enormous hope. Enormous Hope, confidence. Listen to Paul's description of his own life. In Second Timothy chapter 4. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. But why? Why is he so confident? Oh, I have gone to Asia Minor and preached. All of Asia Minor has heard the word of God through me in two years, three years. I preached in the lecture hall of Tyrannus only for two years. And the scripture has gone, the word has gone. Did he say any of those things? No. Mission wise successful. But that's not what he says. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Why? I was mission focused than anybody. I worked harder than anybody, but I never kept my eyes from my price. What was my price? I wanted righteousness. I wanted the crown of righteousness, not a medal. I wanted the crown of I sought, I sought and desired the righteousness of God more than everything. Therefore, I know I will get it. Not only that, the righteous judge will give it to me on that day and not to me, but also all who have, oh, not to everybody, only those who love his appearing. If you love his appearing, then there is something that will happen to you. You are not just mission focused. You are not earthly focused at all. If you love his appearing, then everything, everything, everything changes. That's what I said, he never mentioned the success of his ministry. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 to 8. 
Neither he who plants is anything. He waters. God who gives the increase, nor he plants. He waters someone. Each one will receive his own reward. His level. Success of ministry is not judged here. It's not known here. It will be known there. So he never talked about that. He talked about the hardship of his ministry. He never talked about the success of his ministry. But one thing he talked about at the end. The success of the price of the upward call of Jesus Christ. He said, I got it. I got it. That what I was. That is what I said. You can measure your righteousness. You cannot measure your ministry. Though people only try to measure ministry. You can measure your righteousness by the level of joy and peace you experience in the most difficult circumstances. You can know your righteousness. This difficult circumstances that is happening in our life is ordained by God so that I know, you know, whether we are walking in righteousness, growing in righteousness or not. Because how do you measure righteousness? You can't. Peace and joy? Yes. Pastor? Yes. I have lost my peace. Where do you lose it? How do I find it? Seek righteousness. You will find it. You lost your peace when you lost your righteousness. I have no joy at all. Honey, you lost your joy because you lost your righteousness. If you haven't lost your righteousness, you don't lose your peace. You don't lose your righteousness. Your, your joy. You can be beaten up Back broken, thrown into the midnight hour into the Philipp- Philippi dirty prison, legs locked up. All you can do is worship the Lord. Why? You haven't lost your peace and joy. So outside circumstances cannot steal your peace and joy because they did not give it. The world did not give it. The world cannot take it away. You can lose it. They cannot take it away. That's what God is talking about. This is what we miss. This is what we are missing in lives. Because we look at it, say, I'm working hard in my office, I'm working hard in my home, I'm working hard, working hard, giving, tithing, everything true. But there is something missing in these nine years. What is this? The passion for the person of Christ. And I'm telling to you as a pastor, that's what I see missing. The passion for the person of Christ. Passion for him, the person. In 2 Peter chapter 3, 13 to 14, Peter will say, Nevertheless, we according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which what dwells? If that is what I am looking for, the new earth and a new heaven, then I am seeking righteousness. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace. Found by him in peace. Without spot and blameless. That's Peter's testimony. What does John have to say? Now little children abide in him that when he appears we may have confidence and not to be ashamed before him at his coming. So many people have confidence which is called Dutch courage. You know what Dutch courage means in English? The fellow is drunk. You know when he's drunk he's ready to fight anybody. He's courageous. That's why all soldiers get liquor as free rations. Nothing else will make them fight. That will make them fight. All the people say, I am confident. Really, brother? Really, sister? In the light of this word, in the light of the Holy Spirit, really do you have the confidence? I don't have the confidence. Paul says, even I don't have the confidence. I don't even judge myself. I don't even go by somebody else's judgment because he is the one who judges. So I am always examining myself. Dear children, 
when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Did you see everyone is talking about righteousness? Because that's the scepter of his kingdom. That should be the quality by which we measure our actions. Am I righteous in my love? Am I righteous in my mercy? Am I righteous? Am I righteous? Lord, by your standard, how do you evaluate me? Am I growing in this, O oh God? Am I growing in this? Does Paul have something else to say? No, he says the same thing. In Second Corinthians 16, 22, he goes even harsher than the others. Because this man is passionate about his love for Christ. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be cursed. This is his recommendation. Lord, don't let them in. Don't let them in. People who don't love you should not enter heaven. Let him be cursed. Because that is the factor that motivates everything else, this love for God. Because we know that's the most powerful passion, this love for God. So God is asking us, do we have that purpose and passion? Then if your purpose is earthly, like I said, then when your goal is achieved or is not achievable, it's gone. Either you achieved, parents do like that. With this child who cannot even write properly, will say, you will force MSAT, okay? Abba, I don't like maths. No, don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. You have to be an engineer. I don't want to be an engineer. No, you have to be an engineer. So he has already given up. Question is, some people give up. Some people achieve. But after achieving, what happens? Because it's very earthly. Very earthly. Very earthly. But in Acts 26 and verse 19, years and years and years and years later, the man stands there still on fire, zealous for God and says, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to that heavenly vision. When did that happen, Peter? Paul? On that day on the road to Damascus, still today I have not been disobedient to that goal, the purpose, the vision that I received from heaven. I have walked in it. I pursued it. And I have given it my everything. And I love him more than ever before. But when I look at myself, I don't want to judge. If I judge, I want to say, worst of sinners, chief of sinners, least of apostles. I'm not judging myself. Let him do that on that day. Today you see pamphlets all around the city. Everybody is a prophet. Everybody is an apostle. So sad. Young Churka fellows, 22-23, apostle, this thing from Nigeria, apostle. Look at it. When did he become one? How can you give a title yourself? I can understand pastor, which means shepherd of a church. You are a church, you have a shepherd. But church sends out Somebody, you call him an evangelist. But how do you call myself prophet? How do you call yourself apostle? Yo, they have real thick skins. God says, I offer you a heavenly price. Heavenly vision, heavenly price. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, 1, 4. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of earth. Are you really raised with Christ? Look at this, look at this one 
Three verses. Set your mind on things above, not on the things on earth. Chapter 3, verse 3. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ who is our life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Is our mind on things that are above or in the lunch that is outside? Where is our mind? Or the future that looks bleak or exciting? Where is our mind? Where is our mind? That's how when we read these scriptures, we will know where we are. Where we really are. Where our heart is. We have everything in life. One man of God said, we have our calendar, we have our schedules, but we don't have a compass. We don't have a What does compass give you? Direction. What do we have? Calendar, schedule. Where I am going? I am going to Karnul preaching on this day. I am going to Warangal. I am going to Vijayavada. My calendar is full. My schedule is full. Where are you going? I am going to Warangal. That's not what I ask. Where are you going? Have you grown in the past five years? Uh, Not exactly. No compass. We have calendar. Now calendars are all in the phone. I know my schedule. Monday, no time. Tuesday, no time. Thursday, no time. I'm very busy. Finally, you two become too busy, even God can get, can't get into your schedule. That's what's happening. Young people also, so busy. So busy. Consumed with passion for a career. No, so busy. No time. God is fitted in somewhere. Oh, I have exams. I will read my Bible tomorrow. I thought it's God who prospers you. Oh, exams, Monday, this next week is exam. Alsante, please tell me, I'm not coming on Wednesday. You know, instead of fitting our schedules around God, we fit God into our schedule. And then we are expecting when he who is my life appears, I too will appear with him in glory. God says, no. No, I say, I love you. I love you. But this is the truth. My kingdom is the kingdom of righteousness. The scepter of my kingdom is, I don't bend it. I don't bend it. But you healed me. Of course, that's mercy. You delivered me. That's mercy. You fed me. That's mercy. You clothed me. That's mercy. You gave me everything. I did it for those people in the desert too. That's mercy. Don't confuse mercy with righteousness. Don't, church, don't. At our own peril we do that. Don't confuse mercy with righteousness. Righteousness has to be sought. Righteousness has to be practiced. Righteousness has to be grown in. Then when it happens, we experience him and we realize, you know what? I am dying daily. My life is hidden with him. I love it. That's why this culture in which we live in, corrupt culture has changed everything. In the old culture, when a woman, Rebecca, goes and marries Isaac, what is her name? What's your name? Mrs. Isaac. The name is gone. Have you ever seen any woman in the old days who carries her own name? No, she always had her father's name or her husband's. Now you don't need it. They say don't need What does it mean? Identity is gone. My life is hidden with you. I, I have no separate passion. 
I have no separate dream. My dreams, everything is swallowed up in you. You tell me what you want me to do. You tell me. I have nothing separate. Everything is summed up in it. I'm not saying you shouldn't work hard, you shouldn't study hard. That's all part of it. Paul also worked hard. I'm not saying that. But Paul lost, never lost his passion for the person of Christ. That's what I'm asking about. Have you grown in your passion? Have you grown in your passion for Christ in these nine years? Look back, that's how I check myself. I check myself not at my work. I work more than before. It's irrelevant. I can preach better than before. That's irrelevant. That's all knowledge. That's irrelevant. None of those things matter. I can preach in more languages today than I ever could. Irrelevant. The only thing by which I want to judge myself is, am I more passionate about Jesus the person today than I was before? Because that's exactly how you will measure your marriage. That's exactly how God measured the first church in the book of Revelation. You're fantastic. Your doctrine is fantastic. Your works are good. You're good. You're good. You're good. But I hold one thing against you. And that one thing will take you down. You have lost your first love. That one thing I'm looking for. Philippian church in Philadelphia. Oh. He doesn't give them the nine yards like he gave the efficient church. But he says, you know one thing? you got little strength. You have hung on to me with all your life. Therefore, you church of Philadelphia, when this trouble is coming upon the whole earth, you alone, I give you the promise, I will take you out and you will stand with me because you are my wife. You will not go through what the rest of the world and the churches will go through. You will not because I see your passion for me. I see your passion for me. That's what God is talking about us. Rekindle that passion. This 40 days was for that purpose alone. Rekindle that passion. Lock yourself. Spend time with God and say, Lord, you know what? Even if you don't want to use me at all, it's fine with me. I just want to love you. I want to love you. Then turn around and say, Lord, even if you kill me, Lord, I will still serve you till you kill me. That's what Job said. Even if you slay me, I will still serve you. What does he mean? Lord, everybody is gone. All is lost. And my wife tells me to kill myself, commit suicide. But you know, Lord, I started this journey with you. Just all about you. All this is gone. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. You gave me, you took away from me, everything is okay. I, I desire everything is about you. It's everything about you. This doesn't come through a preaching. This doesn't come from hearing a word. This is a fire that can be kindled only by God from heaven. That's why you have to seek him and ask, touch me Lord. Touch me Lord, touch me. The fire in the holy place in the temple was not started by man. It was started by God. And then he told them, guard it with your life. Never let it go off. Maybe some of you, your fire was never started by God. Go to God and say, Lord, touch me. Touch me. Touch me. And then, guard it with your life. I will not let that fire go off, oh Lord. I may fall. I may fail. I may do everything. But Lord, I want to rise up and fan those flames back, oh Lord. Because it was not lit by man. 
That's what was Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy, Timothy, Timothy. That fire was lit not by a man. Fan it back to flames. Come back. Come back, Timothy. Come back, Timothy. Come back. This morning my prayer for the church is that. My prayer for myself is that. Let that fire come back. If you never had it, ask for it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how young you are. God doesn't look at age or how old you are. Irrelevant. Fire can be started with a young man called Samuel or an old man called Moses. Irrelevant. The light was going out in the temple. That's what scripture is saying. And I believe Samuel's whole life was centered around the lamb. Guarding the lamb. Guarding the lamb. The light should not go out. The light should not go out. And then one day he hears Samuel. Samuel. I saw you. I saw you, Samuel, in the temple. When all the priests are doing this abomination, you little boy, wearing this little effort your mother brought, is trying to guard that fire in that temple. It is to you I want to speak. I believe in that wilderness on that day. There were many, many shepherds in the Sinai wilderness. But when that bush was burning, Scripture says, Moses looked, turned aside, came to look at that fire. Scripture says, when God saw Moses had turned aside. He said, Moses, Moses, take your shoes off. Standing on a hallowed place. That's when the fire touched him. From that day till the day he died, the fire kept him. From that day, Paul of Tarsus was touched by Jesus till the day he left. He guarded that fire. Guard the fire. Guard the fire. Then when he appears, he is our life. He becomes your life. When does he become my love? Because my life is hidden in him. I have no life of my own. Therefore his life is my life. His life is your life. Your life is hidden in him. And when he appears, we appear with him. Do you see, understand the deep theology of this? Christ is the one who is coming. But along with Christ, who will come? Everybody whose life was hidden with him will appear together with him. That is the second coming. Enoch, the first man to have walked with God, says, when he comes, tens upon thousands of his saints shall come together. What was he seeing? The lives of all those who are hidden in Christ appears with him suddenly outside. The glory of it. Not glory of the prince of glory alone, but the glory of his bride will be revealed because all whose lives were hidden in him will be revealed that day. And that's what Romans 8 says. The whole of creation is groaning to see the sons of God to be revealed because they know these are the ones who will rule them for a thousand years. The overcoming bride of Christ Jesus. This is the price. He says, I never took my eyes off the prize. He saved me. He called me. He put me into apostleship. But I realized there was something much bigger than all of that. What is that? The upward call of Christ for which he grabbed me. He grabbed me and said, if you finish, you will become my wife. He said, I want to. I want to. Forgetting everything behind. I am running towards that. Forgetting the bitterness, the anger, the unforgiveness, all that people have said and done against you. Forget it. Put it behind. Don't let that steal your crown. Let it leave it all behind. And say, Lord, I am running. I am running. I am running. Let me tell you. Learn from Paul. Learn from Jesus. The more closer you are to the goal, the more God will allow enemies to rise against you. 
to test whether your love is righteous or not. It's not they become less. They become more. It's not your troubles lessen. Your troubles increase because it's a test of your faith, your test of your love, so that you know your hope is real. Therefore, Paul says of all these three, what are the three? Faith, hope and love. The greatest of it all is love. Shall we stand? Father, we just come to you, Lord. Come to you. Father, I have spoken from my heart out, Lord. What you have laid upon my heart for your church here, all our churches around the world. I pray, Father, the same fire, the same fire. Some churches are on fire. Some churches are, the fire is going out. Some churches, the fire has gone out. But Father, I pray you will rekindle that fire, Lord. Rekindle that fire, that passion, Lord, like Jeremiah, Old Testament prophets who did not have the Holy Spirit birthing them. They could say, your word is like fire shut in my bones, Father. The disciples on the road to Emmaus said, did our hearts burn (coughs) within us when he was talking to us, when he walked with us? Oh, Father, we too, we too, Lord, we too, we too are disciples, Lord. We want our hearts on fire. We want our fear fire to be hidden in our bones. We want our law, Lord. Everyone will let us down. Anybody can let us down. <clears throat> but you are the true love of our life. The only one who will never leave us nor forsake us. The only one who has loved us with an everlasting love. The only one who rises up each day when we rise up says, My mercies are new each morning. The only one, the only one. The fairest of 10,000. The only one of God. Oh, Father, I pray, carnal eyes will shut, soulish eyes will shut, and spiritual eyes will be opened to the beauty of Jesus Christ, O oh Lord. Oh, the beauty, the beauty, the only Son of God, the beauty. And we will look into your eyes and see your beauty, and see through your eyes the beauty that you long, and will cry out to the Holy Spirit, make me beautiful, O oh God, in the eyes of my Lord Jesus. I don't care if I don't look good to the world. I don't care what the world says. I only care that my Lord should say, you are beautiful in my eyes. Help us, O Lord, to know our significance comes from you and you alone, O God. Nothing and nobody else. Touch, 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 Lord. Touch, Lord. Touch, touch today. Heal the brokenhearted. Heal the wounded. Heal Deliver the oppressed, O God. For this purpose you came. Deliver, heal, set free. So that we might pursue our eternal destiny, Lord. To be the bride of the only Son of God. Touch. Touch your servants. Pastor Vijay, Pastor Eric, Pastor Ruben, all of our other pastors. Touch, touch, touch Sydney, Sammy, all of them. Touch, touch Paul Samson. Touch. Touch, touch, Father. Touch your servants. Touch. Let no one's fire go out, O Lord. O Father, if we are not on fire, how will the people be on fire, O God? O Father, I pray today, the servants of your servants will be on fire. They will never slacken. They will never go backwards, but they will keep on pressing on, pressing on, pressing on. As Paul said, O Lord, pressing on. 
Touch the sisters. Touch the women. Touch the girls. Touch. Touch, Lord. Touch. 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 Touch, Father. Touch. Cover your church. Protect your church. Preserve your church until the hour of your coming. Even our babies, little, small, even the ones in the womb, touch them, touch them, Lord, touch them. We believe because it is written that John the Baptist was filled in his mother's womb. Touch our babies, O God. Let their destiny be defined even now when they are in their mother's womb, O God. Touch, Father. Touch. Because only people on fire can change this nation, O God. Touch, touch, touch our children. Touch those who have strayed away. Bring them back. Touch those who have fallen away. Bring them back. Touch, touch, O good shepherd. Pick them up. Lay them on your shoulder. Bring them back, O Lord. Touch, Lord. We just love you, Lord. This hour, we just want to say we just love you. We just love you. We just love you. Just love you. Help us to love you more and more. Cause us to love you. You said in your word, these are things we cannot do. You have to do it in us. All we do is surrender and allow you to do it. You said, you said, you said. I will circumcise your heart that you love your God with all your heart, all your might. We today, this ninth year, end of the ninth year, beginning of the tenth, say, Lord, circumcise our hearts that we love you. With all our heart, with all mind, all our strength. Then fill us with your fire. Fill us. Consume everything that is not of you. And let be always, always a blaze for you, Lord. That what Moses saw in the wilderness, people will see. On fire, but not consumed. People on fire, but not consumed. People on fire for God, but not consumed by the fire. Thank you, Father. That's our prayer, Father. This is our prayer. Thank you. I bless your people in your name. Meet them at their point of need. Whatever it is, meet them there, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Once again, we thank you for nine years of your faithfulness as a church. Thank you, Lord. This tenth year, we pray, Father, we need you more than ever before. Go before us. Order our crooked path. Straighten our ways. Teach us to walk in your ways. Cause us to walk in your ways. And Lord, be with everyone, youngest to the oldest. Be with them. Guide them. Protect them. Preserve them, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.